Hello, everybody. It is yet another episode of Views on View. I am Steve Edwards, the host with the Face for Radio and the voice for being a mime, but I'm still your host. With me today, I have my special returning guest, Mr. Drew Baker. How are you doing, Drew? I'm great. Thanks, Steve. Drew is coming at us from Europe these days. He's uh, quite the world traveler, LA, Sydney, Europe. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm still here in the same office where I've been for 13 years, but that's another story. So today, Drew and I are back, and this, we are sharing the pearls of wisdom that drip from our lips like water. And, oh, before I forget, sorry, Drew, before I forget, I almost always forget, and I feel bad when I ignore these people. Thanks to our, hello to our studio audience. Not sure how I could forget such important people, but uh, thank you. Thank you. So today we're going to talk about freelancing, um, and which is something a lot of developers do uh, instead of working for another company uh, for, uh, you know, whether it's a tech company that's providing, you know, software to customers or maybe a larger corporation where you're just sort of their internal software team. Um, freelancing is, you know, basically where you work for yourself and you, you do a job for somebody. Maybe it's an ongoing support basis where you build a new website for them or, or something and they pay you as a contractor. Um, and there's various uh, ways to do that from a tax standpoint that maybe we'll talk about later. All this stuff that makes my eyes water. I'm just thinking about it. <clears throat> but anyway, we wanted to... Uh, to talk about that and uh, how to get work, how you're scoping it out, how you price it, getting paid, uh, that kind of stuff. So uh, we'll let Drew start out. Drew comes up with the agenda. He's one of those wizard guys that comes up with lists and let's do this and this and this. So I'm gonna let Drew start out. Where do we wanna start out with, Drew? <laughs> Thanks, Drew. Uh, I thought it would be interesting to talk about how to get freelance work and the different types of freelance work like is it moonlighting essentially you know like a side job is it you're just going to go full-time freelance for a while you know often people will do that um between jobs you know take a while off uh, and see how i go as a consultant or whatever it is so let's start with that i think the three different sort of approaches of a moonlighting on the side how to get work like that is is interesting. Um, so maybe we'll start talking about that. But the the one that I've seen work really well uh, is like for example at Funkhouse, some of the freelancers that we've had the most success with are people that used to work for us uh, and have gone on to go work somewhere else and are looking to just fill sort of a night or two or a weekend, you know, with some extra pocket money. And that's been great for us. And what we would do there is engage them in a monthly retainer of some sort. And we'll talk about pricing later, but essentially sort of buy a certain amount of hours a month from someone. And we pay them regardless if we use the hours or not. You know, And it's just like, we're going to lock this person into a 12-month deal where we know that they're available you know, a certain amount of time a month. And that works out great for us. Uh, and I think if you're a full-time developer and, you, and, and you've got extra time and you don't mind spending time on the weekends, nights and weekends, and burnout is a real thing, like we've certainly seen this backfire, uh, you know, like, like with freelancers. Uh, my, my twin brother, who's a designer, he definitely is the type that will like overload himself with work <laughs> and get burned out on it all. Um, but you got to be careful. So, you know, make sure you you sort of, be real with yourself about what you can handle. Uh, so the way, to, the best way to get that kind of work is, I think, or how we find these people is either ex-employees that work for us at one time, or like I'm thinking through the different people that have hit us up and had we've had success with. One guy we found off Stack Overflow. He was helping. He helped answer a question on Stack Overflow and then just emailed me saying, hey, I answered this thing. If you ever need any more help like this, you know, I'm available at freelance. And that was, and we still work with him. He's incredible. Uh, another guy we found off of a Hacker News, um, the first of every month, Hacker News 
puts out uh, who is hiring or who is looking for freelance work mm-hmm. post. We found someone off that. We talked about that on the um, on the employ the hiring uh, job hunting podcast that we did, um, Steve. But that is there's a freelance one that's great as well. I've hired a guy off that. It's been really good. That those have been good little freelancey ones. Um, but then if you're trying to be a consultant, like go full time, then it's about growing a client base. Uh, and it kind of depends on the, the style of work that you want to do. But ultimately, I, I've found, you know, over the years when not that I've freelanced a lot re- recently, but I've definitely advised a lot of people and people like my brother and do it a lot. I think the way to do that is it's all about portfolio. Like what's the work that you've done in the past that you can show that you're good at to do in the future. You know, it's mostly how you're going to get judged is your portfolio of work, you know, and if that's, you can show completed projects or you can show, you know, a a Git repo of here's this thing I did. And, you know, it gets tricky when you work on projects where you're not allowed to show things. Uh, You know, I, I, I would tend to, in those scenarios, try and, you know, you don't want to be respectful of your, you know, whatever contracts you may have signed, but definitely try and show as much as you can, you know, uh, or at the very least hint at, you know, I've worked for various Fortune 500 companies, you know, and then show it in private. I, I, I would definitely not be shy doing that. You know, don't put it on your website or something. I think having a, a strong GitHub profile or Bitbucket or one of those things is really good and put a bit of effort into that will help definitely um close a deal probably not great at finding work that way but definitely helps uh with getting work if you're a developer i'm surprised that more people don't try and do this how i started at funkhouse originally like 10 years ago how we started was my business partner dave funkhauser was a designer and we took on work that our company we worked at couldn't do like that didn't have the capacity or didn't want to do it. And so we were just freelance nights and weekends doing that. Uh, and the deal was like Dave would design them and I would program them, you know. So it was a great little team and that's how we started. So I think the best thing you can do as a, as a just a freelance developer is try and partner up with some designers. Like find some good designers. And then that, that's surprising. That's way easier to find than a programmer because designers by nature are um, it's much more visual. So, you know, they have really good websites. They talk about the work they do a lot. There's a website called siteinspire.com that is just a great place to look at like high-end design websites. Go through that, find a bunch of design studios that you'd like to look of and then find out if they need any programming help. You know, a lot of them would, um, especially the ones that are like small shops, like one or two people they would absolutely be looking for help, you know, and email enough of them and you have enough of a portfolio or, or a GitHub presence, I think you'll definitely find success that way. Yeah, if I look back at my history of when I started in web development and all the different ways I've had projects, uh, it's quite the variety. It's really sort of interesting. So my first one was when I I, I was first getting into PHP and MySQL. This is pre, I think maybe pre-WordPress, pre-Drupal, or right about the time Drupal starting. Um, and I did work with a guy that we did just a uh, e-commerce store for a mountain bike shop. And we just did straight PHP, MySQL, Apache. Um, you know, that's where I was working on the, when I had that story I told last week about having one space in a file that's timing me for an hour because something wouldn't work. You know, it's weird stuff like that. And uh, then I started doing little side projects just to sort of get experience, put my name out there. And those side projects, like some Drupal modules and stuff, was what helped land me my first uh, job as a web developer. I was just back in an agency that doesn't exist anymore. Uh, They were based out of New Jersey, but they saw some of the work I did and, and I had applied and I happened to know somebody that was working for them that left. And I said, hey, I'm interested in... That was how I got my foot in the door was just by doing little side projects and outside stuff. And I'd be working out at the time I was in a business, like a system analyst type role for a telecom and, and, uh, for some other, uh, for, a you know, Daimler, what's considered Daimler trucks now, Freightliner back then, they have a pretty big presence here in Portland area. 
Um, but it was just outside work in the evenings, you know, I'd be home and kids were in bed and I'd go work for a couple hours and, and then, you know, get to go to work or work at lunchtime, but a lot of extra, you know, side stuff because I was excited. I was learning it and this was my chance to do it. And I wanted to do it full time. And then once I got in, I was at an agency, I would get, uh, you know, we would have people that would come to us and want us to do stuff, projects, but they couldn't afford the pricing, you know, for an agency uh, or they're too small or various reasons. And so my boss would hand me these They said, hey, this one, you know, this here's one we couldn't do. But if you want to do it for them on your own, you're more than welcome to do it. And so I do a pro- couple projects like that, uh, doing stuff. Uh, one of my favorite ones, though, is how I bugged the crap out of somebody and they actually came after me because they got tired of me bugging them. <laughs> so there's, <laughs> and I've had Travis on a couple of times on JavaScript Jabber, but there's a platform called Form.io, which is really a neat platform. It's uh, all JavaScript based. It's a form rendering thing. It's basically a drag and drop form builder. It's really pretty slick, but what it does is it automatically builds REST API endpoints behind the scenes, and then you can customize the crap out of your forms, and it's really flexible. You can do some neat stuff. And I was looking for alternatives for doing a site where I didn't want to have to manage the back end so much, you know, setting up a database and server and all that kind. And I had met Travis at a conference, and I started, they, they, had, they had a little thing, a Calendly type thing where you could set up a point with them for, you know, 15 minutes to explain things or something like that. And I did it like four or five times, and they finally came back and said, uh, this is only supposed to be for one or one time, not four or five. <laughs> and then Travis Vincent reached out to me, and he said, um, so you seem to know this stuff pretty well and, uh, you know, Angular and stuff, you want to do some work for us? <laughs> so I did a couple projects for them. Um, the one time I have had to go full time and this was out of necessity was in 2020, uh, where I had been doing, it was my first full view, view job, full-time view. And it was almost exactly one year. And it was, so this was right when COVID hit, but it had nothing to do with COVID. It was our whole department got gutted up here in Portland for the company I was working at. And, you know, it's like, it was then like it, it, let me spit that out. (laughs) Back then it was like it is now where you've got tons of layoffs. So there's tons of competition for positions that maybe normally you wouldn't have. And so it was very hard to find. Uh, positions, a lot of competition. I still, I think I have this huge directory of all my cover letters I sent out during that time frame. But in the meantime, I still had to work. So fortunately, I had done some freelance one-off contract work for a shop out of Baltimore. And I called them and said, hey, you need somebody for a while? And I said, yeah, funny you should ask. We got a big project going on. So I worked for them until <laughs> I got the job where I have now. Yeah. But almost uh, all my other side gigs that I'll do here are you know, references or somebody I know needs somebody. It's sort of word of mouth networking type of stuff. Um, the uh, Yeah, it's obviously easier when you're further along in your career, like guys like us, you know, when yeah. you're starting out, it's hard to figure it out. So, Well, um, one was uh, this guy did some work for his company. He was like a consultant, uh, IT consultancy, and they, it was an internal tool they were doing. And um, they needed some help, but I got the recommendation from my buddy, Eric Hanchett. Uh, who I've had on here a few times. He does program with Eric and he's a view guy at Amazon now at AWS. And some guy had taken his class. Uh, He did a a view class and needed some help. And Eric's like, I can't do it, but here, go talk to Steve. And then uh, the one I'm doing now is a pretty good site for uh, a private club organization that I belong to, whose website is literally out of the nineties still, you know, it's uh, you know, hosting on .sir where you FTP changed file, straight HTML files up to their server and everything's paperwork. And so we're trying to automate it. So I'm doing a whole membership portal that automates that. But so, yeah, it's, uh, it's, I've done the various types, you know, whether it's the side jobs getting in, whether it's the full time, whether it's, you know, overflow from somebody, you know, just some extra money here and there to, to do stuff. And and it's, when you do the work, Steve, how do you scope it? Like what, what boundaries do you put around the job? Well, I have, I know how many hours a week I can spare. So, you know, I have a set of hours of week, you know, outside of my full-time job that I already do for, and then, you know, family and other commits and stuff and say, okay, I've got so many hours in a week that I can spare to work on this for you, you know, and it, 
you know, it takes up a lot of my spare time once I get into something like this, but it's generally for uh, a short period of time. You know, it's not like an ongoing thing where I'm, you know, I'm doing full time and then I've got another 20 hours that I'm, you know, doing on a project. Mm. So I can base it off of that, say, okay, I can, this would probably take this much time and I've got this many hours in a week. So that means I could probably get it done this much done by such and such a date. You know. And so you just you just estimate based on experience how long I think this is going to take me right. to do. Like, right. And of course, it's almost never right. You know. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's what I wanted to get to that. is is the scoping question <laughs> right. is is right. a really tough one. So you know, if anyone hasn't done this before, what I mean by scoping is, you know, someone asks you, "Hey, can you? We need to build this website, or we need you to fix feature A, B, C, or D, or whatever it is." And they ask you, "How long is it going to take? Therefore, how much am I going to pay you?" Mm-hmm. and that is uh an alchemy you know as old as time is like <laughs> trying to guess these things or estimate them so you know one way is just based off experience how long do you think it's going to take right and also what is it you're asking me to do you know scoping is not necessarily pricing we're going to talk about pricing next but scoping is more about putting a boundary around what it is you're asking me to do and what it is I'm not going to do, or like what, where my boundaries are, you know, for example, like, if I'm building you the website, who's actually going to put all the content into it? Am I doing that? Or are you doing that? You know, the client or whatever it might be. So it's really important to kind of define what it is you're doing and not doing. Uh, And then, like Steve was saying, it's notoriously hard to get that right. I, I think it's easy to kind of come up with a a, call it scope of works or SOW you'll see, which is like, here's what I'm going to do and here's what I'm not going to do. Yep. Figuring out how long those things are going to take is a different question. And there's a few different sort of methods of doing that. One is just to, you know, eyeball it and use experience to be like, oh, I think that's going to take X amount of hours. Uh, you know, that's fine for little jobs. But when it becomes big, like build me a members portal or something like this. That's exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the... Uh, I think the best way to, to do this and just this good rule of thumb is to the granular you can get with it in your own, you don't have to share this with a client, but at least in your own kind of estimations, the better. So think about, all right, how many pages are there going to be? Individual pages do I have to build? Like a login page, an account page, or, you know, uh, edit my profile page, or reset my password, you know, whatever they might be. Think of all the pages. Then think of all the components. How many components are you going to have to build? What kind of form elements, you know, all of the different things that you're going to have to build. And then you can start to think, all right, how many hours will it take me to build just this one component and do that for every component. And that is generally going to be more accurate than you just going, I think it's like three days. You know, if you, if you get more granular with it, you definitely are more accurate. Mm -hmm. Um, That's, that's like the next sort of level up of, of accuracy. And then, you can Google this and there's some different spreadsheets out there that you can find. Then the next one is to kind of have all of that listed out and then assign a weighting of like a risk factor of how much, how accurate you think you are on these estimates. You know, like I think on the low side, this could take me half an hour, but if something really goes wrong, it could probably take three hours, you know, and then you come up with a range for everything. And then at the end, you're going to have an, an, a range. On the low side, it's this. And on the high side, it's this. And so then you can either present that to the client and be like, on the low side, I think it's going to take X. On the high side, I think it's going to take Y. I'll keep you up to date as I go. And if the client is okay with um, a little leeway, then that protects you. Or you can just, you know, just say to the client, it's on the high side, I think it's going to take a higher amount of time. So that that's the, the, the final way to do it. And again, I'm not, that's all scoping stuff. I think next we should talk about pricing, which is a different thing. Um, unless Steve, you got something you want to add to the scoping stuff. Yeah. Like a statement of work is, is always uh, a good way to go, you know, with ideally for a customer, they want to know, okay, can you do this by such and such a date? Because we have such and such a deadline or something like that. And so, you want to give that, but I always, I know I will always stress to them. Yes, this is an estimate. <laughs> Things can change, you know, and you're working, if you're working with somebody uh, who, whether it's an organization or, or whoever your customer is that has some knowledge of that kind of stuff, it's a little easier than someone who can't say, what? I don't understand. You said it could be done. 
you know, that's, you know, I don't know how many times you scope something out and you look at the details, but I know that once I get into the actual programming and, you know, figuring out how I'm going to structure stuff, there's stuff that's going to come up. There's going to be questions. Oh man, I hadn't thought about this. You know, yeah. until you actually, until you actually get in and start writing and start breaking it down, you're not going to, you know, I, no, I and, the, and the way around that is to maybe sit and dig in and start coding a little bit while you're making your statement of work and then build them for that time, I guess. <laughs> no, I, I saw a great, but, a great, um, you know, like little meme on Instagram that was a photo of a car engine and it was like, you know, every job is 20 minutes unless you break a bolt and it was like a bolt, you know, head right. snapped off. Right. And and that's totally true. Like, you know, if that bolt came out, easy job. But once you snap that bolt, then it's replacing that engine is a whole other thing. And oh. the same applies to programming, you know, it's easy until it's not. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you know, you have to you have to be aware of that for sure. Yeah, Especially I just if you're doing had something my truck before. worked on. They had to do some, some, the manifold exhaust. There's some issues and everything came down to the bolts. Okay, can we get this out or are we going to have to completely pull it apart? There you go. The heads broke off and... Yep. Uh, yes. Fortunately, now, I was able to everything, get by on the low end. <laughs> everything I said was related to, you know, a, a project-based freelance engagement. But a lot of the times it could be like what you said, like, you know, a, a time, like we need you for three months, you know, it's a temporary contract and we're buying hours from you, you know, and then you don't really have to worry about the scoping. It's more just about, you know, can you do the engagement? Do you have the time to do what they're asking you to do? And, you know, in those scenarios, I think your scoping is more about what is my expectation? Like, do I have to be in meetings? Do I need to come to an office? You know, am I bringing my own tools? What tools do I need? You know, like I'm assuming I'm a freelancer, so I'm bringing my own laptop, but are you going to make me use some corporate VPN? Like what level of, you know, stuff are you going to have to, hoops are you going to have to jump through to work for these people? Uh, that's definitely worth. And then what's the payment terms? Like, when are you going to get paid? You know, a lot of companies will pay you on whatever schedule they're on, not yours. You know, if you're just a little nothing freelancer, sometimes you can hear horror stories. People get paid months later, you know? Um, so I think that's a good segue into talking about pricing. (laughs) Yeah. I've, I've been fortunate in that, uh, the people that I've worked with, whether it's an agency or just a special customer. I've always been pretty good about paying, you know, as soon as, you know, within a, ma- a reasonable amount of time. So, so I would, I would urge any agencies out there or anyone working with freelancers, you should pay your freelancers as quick as you possibly can, like immediately, you know, like make it a thing to pay them the same day if you can, because it will, like, you will find the, the level of attention you will get is very much tied to how long it is to get paid. <laughs> so like, you know, we've all, because, and also it's like, we've all started the same kind of way, right? Like a lot of us have done freelance work. Like most people in the software world have done freelance work at some point in their career. And we all know how much it sucks to be like waiting to get paid as a freelancer because your cash flow is like so uneasy, it's so uneven and everything anyway. So, you know, don't, don't screw over our future, se- our past selves, you know, do it like we're in this together, guys. <laughs> right. So, all right. So let's talk pricing. How do you, how do you, yeah, well, um, out, I mean, how do you, rate? how do you price for your stuff, Steve? You were saying you just, no, I asked you <laughs> first. Okay. 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 No, I mean, I'll tell the story of my first freelance thing. I remember I first got asked um, by like, this was at the company I worked for way back in the day. And they asked, can I do this, you know, on the side? And, uh, and I had no idea how to price it, which I'm guessing a lot of people out there do. And I think I came back with, you know, like 50 bucks an hour or something. I don't know what it was. And the, um, the, the guy giving me the quote, who was obviously a friend because I worked with him. He said, well, I only work with professionals and professionals charge a hundred dollars an hour. And I was like, and he just did me such a solid. And I was like, all right, thanks. You know, so that's, you know, that was how I, first started but the real way to do it (laughs) is you have to ask yourself for a certain job are you going to value price or are you going to like cost plus a margin price so what i mean by that is you if you can you should value price meaning what is the company asking you to do and what is it worth to the company and if that is a higher number than just like your cost plus a margin, you should go with the value pricing if you can. 
So, you know, if someone is asking you to build something that is very valuable to them, don't, don't be a sucker and just get paid hourly. You know, I've always tried to not be, you know, like the plumber or the mechanic and tried to be the artist. You know, we should all, I think we should all be aspiring to do that as a software engineer. Like I'm being paid because of a whole wealth of knowledge, not just like an hourly fee. Now, ultimately, sometimes you have to just do it as an hourly fee. But keep in mind the value if you can. Now, that's easy to do when you're more established in the beginning. You know, it's hard to like, you know, be a nobody and be like, ah, I think this is worth so much money. I'm going to charge you, you know, 50 grand or whatever it is. But just just worth thinking about. So if we're talking about the other side of it, which is an hourly rate, it, figure out what your cost is, you know. So for example, how many hours are you going, do you have available? And if you're full-time, you know, it's like a regular 40-hour work week minus the vacation times that you want over the year. Figure out the total amount of hours in the year that you have minusing some vacation time and minusing, you know, I don't want to work 80 hours a week. I only want to work, you know, eight hours a day or five hours a day or whatever it might be. Figure out that and then say, how much money do you want to earn or do you need to earn for your cost? So if you can just easy add up all your expenses for the month, your rent, your phone bill, your car bill, you know, these things and figure out your cost divided by the amount of hours that you think you're going to work. That's your cost per hour. Now, obviously you don't want to work to make just profit, just no, sorry. You don't want to work for no profit. So what you should do is figure out your cost and then plus a 30% margin on it. That's a good baseline. Like that's the, that's the minimum you should do it for. You should treat yourself like a company. You're not trying to just make salary. You're trying to make your salary plus a margin. So whatever your cost plus the margin is, so I, I think 30% is a good place to start. That is your bare minimum. And then try and get it higher than that again if you can uh, with whatever works. Uh, I think if you're in in not in America and your client, like depends on and where the client is. What I'm going to say is like, you should localize your, your, your salary too. Like if you live in New York or San Francisco and it's really high cost of living and the client is in San Francisco and New York, well, then that's easy. You can just translate it straight across. But if you live in, you know, and Guatemala or, uh, you know, Brazil, and you're working for some American companies, you're not going to be able to charge American prices. Like I know we're all remote now and you, and everyone likes to think that it doesn't matter where you are, but the reality is a lot of people are going to look at, they're going to work with you in Brazil or, you know, for us, we have a team in Croatia. You're doing that because it's cheaper, not because it's easier, <laughs> you know, working across time zones is, is really annoying. So unless you're willing to make some real big sacrifices, basically like pretend like you're not living in these other countries, it's generally going to be easier if you adjust your salary, localize it. So there's a, there's a website out there called, we'll put a link in it. It's called Numio, 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 I can't pronounce it, but, and it's a really good tool for localizing uh, cost of living. So you can use that to figure out, okay, if I lived in, you know, if I, if I need to make 50,000 US to live uh, a good life in Buenos Aires, what does that translate to in America? And then you can figure out like, therefore, like what's a good salary that you could charge, you know, that won't be insane. You know, obviously you want to try, try, charge a little more um, than what you can. So that's like a long way of saying, figuring out what your price is. But if you live in America and you're good at what you do um, and you're trying to build, you know, JavaScript based like websites or web applications, I think that definitely you want to charge at least a hundred dollars an hour. Uh, and if you're really, really, really good, you can charge $300 an hour um, or more depending on, you know, more if you're doing crazy like CTO level stuff, um, but if you're doing that, you probably don't need to listen to Steve and I. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. You always need to listen to us. <clears throat> yeah, uh, I had a similar story where uh, a couple of years ago, I was 
going to do some work for a guy there, an IT consulting agency. And he's like, well, how much do you charge? And I said, 85. He goes, that's it. I said, okay, I'll charge a hundred. Okay. That's good. <laughs> it was that easy. I was like, all right. Cause I had been charging that rate for a few years, yeah. you know, uh, you know, honestly, I, I don't think I've ever done any serious market research on, you know, going rates for developers, you know, in the U S living in where I live or anything like that. It's always just been sort of, uh, you know, I hear what other people charge, whether it's an agency or other freelancers that I know or talk to and, and, uh, and listen to that. So, and then I think it's this- a really good idea to charge on the low side in your first, yes. you know, first stuff. Like I've definitely had guys that have quoted to me like, oh, you know, I'm 90 bucks an hour. And I'm like, man, this guy's like a genius. He's like really good. Like we would jump on this, you know, and then later it's like, I oh, am raising my prices. And you're like, I don't care. You're great. <laughs> like whatever. Well, so, the, the counter side of that is I fell flat on my face doing that a couple of years ago, uh, about two and a half years ago, working for a buddy of mine, um, the guy that I'd known for a long time from the Drupal world who had his own, had split off and had his own company that focused on a certain aspect. And they wanted to develop a view front end that used their back end with an API. And I was felt pretty sure of myself and uh, bid such and such. I can't remember what the hourly rate was, maybe a hundred. And it was more than they were used to paying, but he was like, yeah, I'm willing to do it. Well, I fell flat on my face and they ended up, you know, say, okay, yeah, this ain't going to work. And I got paid mm. for what I did. But it was really pretty embarrassing for me. Oh, because so, you couldn't do it. Yeah, but yeah, because the what I did, I ran, I didn't have, I should have had more familiarity with uh, the JSON API. Yeah, uh, which is what they used, and it was confusing. And I was having to ask a lot of questions of their developer team, and and uh, yeah, I just it was not good. <laughs> and he was he yeah, was pretty well. gracious with me, and you know, and I got paid. And it was it was during that time when I was job hunting, and I really needed the money you know, cause I'm just to pay my bills, you know, with my family and everything. Yep. And I was pretty embarrassing. So, you know, I, uh, I'm leery of overcharging because what I don't want to overcharge and under deliver. Yeah. Yeah. Of um, course not for sure. And, yeah. That, that That's good. And I've had, I had one particular case where I did some stuff, you know, charge pricing. Sometimes I'll have to price down just because of what they can pay. And, yeah. you know, you sort of got to take their word for it. Like, uh, I did a project and I've, blogged about it before for a, a foundation uh it's a, sort of like a red cross type of foundation here in the area where i live that was tied to my old fire department and they needed some work done they just had a really old website and nobody could trust and they could trust to build it and so i did it for them but i did it like half the price of what i would normally charge um they could only you know afford like 50 dollars an hour at the time and i was like you know it's a good cause and i know the people yeah. and and stuff and and that was when I actually nailed like on the hour of the rate to the hour estimation to get it done. I mean, I was like within an hour or something like that. And so I felt pretty good about that one. And I made yeah. less money, but it was a good, it was a good experience. You know, anytime like that, even if I'm taking less money, I'm looking to see, is this a learning experience? Is this a chance where I can, yeah. you know, not have as quite high the risk and, and, and uh, expectations, but I can, in the process, I can learn how to do, uh, do some something something new that I haven't done before. Yeah, and so that's that's a that really a good way to look at it. Everyone. Yeah, so, I'm, so on the one I'm doing now, the the member portal type thing, I'm using Inertia and View and Laravel, which is awesome. I love working with that stack. And I bid like uh, uh, I wrote a whole statement of work, and we knew what I was doing, and we had a it was we had a vendor who was doing the first iteration and they had used Vue with Node and Mongo and just some really weird stuff. And they had basically dropped off to the face of the earth and sort of left us high and dry. And we're like, and I, I had come on board a little too late and said, man, I wish you'd used you up front. Well, now we're going to start from scratch. I'm rebuilding it. And I came in, I bid 150. And so I present, I, I wrote a whole statement of work with dates and I'm going to have this done by this date and this done by this date. And, you know, so it's all done by here because we have our renewal process coming up and we presented it at, uh, at a board meeting, had to go to a board meeting to present it. And there's a number of other, other people in the organization that are in the IT world, you know, development, programming, that kind of stuff. And they looked at it and one guy was, yeah, I mean, everything he's asking for is within norms for that kind of work, you know, for days. So I was like, okay, good. I got some validation there. Yeah. 
you know, what I'm doing. So it helped to have other people with professional experience, you know, sort of evaluating everything as well and, and looking at it. But so, yeah, that's the one I'm in the middle of doing now. But I was happy that I was able to charge, you know, $50 more an hour than, than what I had in the past, you know, over the past couple of years. Just that seems to be what the market will bear. Yeah. I mean, it's a great point, point about, you know, like if you if you want to charge $300 an hour and the client's going to pay 50 doesn't matter. You know, that's yeah. all they have. So, you know, it's at that point, you're, you know, when we run into those sorts of situations at Funkhouse, what we try and do is trim the scope. Okay, well, right. you know, th- those 10 things you're asking me to do, you can only really afford to do three of them, you know, and try and get them to kind of like, come down on their ask, you know, and then eventually you, you either like, do we need the money? Like, is it, right. do you need the money? Is it just a time of the month where, hey, you know, I'm on sale, let's go? Or is it, <laughs> Um, you know, or, but the, the a little saying that we have at Funkhouse is like, it's the jobs you say no to that actually improve your life. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. Cause you don't want to yeah. have some big project that you're getting underpaid on and, you know, that, but in the end you're almost losing money, you know, because of what it eventually yeah. takes. You know, I think from a developer standpoint, probably the ideal situation would be a time and materials like, okay, yeah. whatever it takes, this is what you got to pay versus, you know, some sort of fixed scope thing where we're estimating it's going to take, you know, this many hours at this rate. And so this is how much it's going to cost you when you're stuck with that, regardless of how much it actually takes. So, yeah, the time and materials thing, that's obviously great. Uh, If you can do it, it's very hard to get the trust to do that, you know, and especially when you're doing a project, not direct to a client you know like if you're working for an agency or you're working for a development shop or something where they might have like a fixed project cost you know and that's not 100 percent. like most people like imagine if you just said uh i'm gonna build build me a custom car i i don't know how long it's gonna take (laughs) you know but uh just pay me hourly you know it's like man that is so open-ended you know i don't think anyone's going to agree to that they're gonna want an hourly estimate, you know, like it's going to take between 40 and 60 hours, you know? So if that's the case and you get to like a hundred hours, there's going to be a real problem. So, you know, I think it's a little bit, personally, I think it's a bit naive to do the time and materials with no, you know, range you're locked into. Uh, So the question there is like, if you tell them it's going to be between 60 and 80 hours and they're okay with that, you know, why not just say it's, going to be 80 hours 80, right. <laughs> um yeah, we had, know, I, I had that before with an agency where a guy got into something and wasn't paying attention oh my 100 hours and the customer's like what yeah <laughs> i didn't agree to this and, you know the agency's got to eat it but yeah. it's only fair for the customer too because they need to budget they need to know how much they're going to spend they just can't have write you a blank check and say here go do it whatever it costs you know maybe there's some places that can do that but that's that's no. more the exception than the rule, you know. Totally. The way I look at it is, uh, and, I, and I've said this to other people before that work for me, is like, if you're a professional, you should be able to tell me an estimate on how long this is going to take, or at least these things are pretty pretty definitive, we know, and then these other things might be harder, and I'm going to have to do a little bit of research to answer those questions for you, or like, I won't really know that until I've spent 10 hours, then I'll be able to give you, you know, but to just straight up be like, I'm not going to answer any of those questions, time and materials. It's like, all right, cool. I'll do it. I'll find someone else who's more confident about this. You know, I, I, it, it's a, what kind of philosophy you, you want to have as, as a freelancer, you know, like m- me at Funkhouse, I've, I've been so burned on hiring other companies to do things for us over the years uh, where like, you know, they'll have a, we're going to build this thing for you. And then we have 30 days to like identify any bugs and we'll fix them. And if you find something on day 31, that's, you're going to have to pay us to fix that. And I've been so burned in those kinds of arrangements that I personally just feel that, hey, you don't have to pay me to fix mistakes I made. <laughs> like if, if we build something for you and it doesn't work a year later, whatever it is, if something is broken, we will fix it. You know, like I just personally, that's just the point of pride I want to have, you know, uh, and I think as a freelancer, you should, you know, decide like, all right, am I just in this to like clock in, clock out? And I don't really care if this client's going to have a good experience or not. I think you're not going to have a good, good go at it. You're probably better off having a little bit of a, you know, 
personal guarantee touch to things, I think you'll just do better. Mm-hmm. And don't, yeah. the other one that, that, that annoyed me was like paying people to learn, you know, yes. like I'm, I, I'm happy if you're going to come and do a project because it's interesting to you because you haven't done it before, but don't charge me like a hundred hours because you have to read all the docs, you know, or whatever it might be. Um, I, I just think that that's a little disingenuous, you know, like I could go and hire someone that, that already understands it then. <laughs> um, right. Well, yeah. I've done, I've been there in the past. Like uh, I can remember working on a project that, uh, was it was pretty long and it was seeming to take longer than i guess the people i was working for would have liked but there was a lot of learning i had to do but what i did myself was i didn't charge for those hours you know if i was learning something if i was having to read docs if i was having if i was having to you know really didn't know what was going on and it was fairly basic you know versus versus an issue maybe with the platform or something particular that was out of my control then i just didn't charge for those hours, uh, because I just didn't feel right, you know, billing them for something that, you know, where they're paying me for my expertise, uh, and, uh, for my knowledge to build them for, for having to learn how to do it. They don't need somebody to learn, you know, unless they want to pay me half the rate and, you know, assume that, <laughs> that I'm going to learn yeah. as I go, you know, so. it's different, I guess, when, if you're working on something fully custom, you know, it's like, just like you're, le- you're going to have to learn this only for this one client, this one time. Right, right. Right, for sure. All right, so now let's talk about getting paid. Um, I know I have a you know pretty uh, uh, straightforward generic setup where I, I'm looking at switching because it got so expensive all of a sudden, but QuickBooks uh, is, uh, is my tool. And I just, I have a system where I record my hours in there you know, I have an invoice designed and I can just say, okay, invoice, grab all these hours from such and such time frame, add them, and, and then I can save it as a PDF and send them. Uh, and they're usually pretty good. They'll pay me if I have something set up with Gusto or they'll send me a check or, you know, whatever. The, the ways have varied. I know some people use FreshBooks. I've used that in the past. When I first got in, the agency I was working for used FreshBooks. And since we all had FreshBooks, they could pay me, you know, I could send them invoices through that instead of having to, you know, email something and they would, you know, auto deposit into my checking account. But usually it's like, you know, uh, within, you know, 30 days, it's payable within 30 days or within two weeks or, or whatever the the case may be. I've been knocking on wood very fortunate that I haven't had somebody that screwed me or not paid me or, or, uh, you know, when they've owed me the money. Yeah. We use fresh books in the early days as well. And I really liked how, easy and intuitive that was but it scales like terribly you know oh really <laughs> yeah just like once you get you know we just got too big for it and and they it, yeah it wasn't fun going moving off that onto quickbooks personally i hate quickbooks but uh, it is the default the, the default sort of platform um yeah so what you're going to want to do is prepare an invoice mm-hmm. and if you've had, if you're the kind of person who's going to make the client sign a contract up front, you know, like a lot of freelancers don't because it's very, it's a very trust thing, but you should do some Googling around the contract, the contract killer. And it's just like a one page freelance open source contract. That's really good. Uh, and that, that's a good, just kind of basically a sign. Cause one of the things you want to, you sort of want to make sure is like who owns the work and the client is going to, the client should should require that too, but a lot of clients don't understand. But, you know, you want to kind of make it sure that like I'm doing the work, you're going to own it. I'm going to use a bunch of open source stuff that maybe I don't necessarily know about the providence of, you know, um, but that's kind of like your responsibility. Um, you don't want to have to be in, be in a situation where the client's like, what do, you, what do you mean you use this other package, you know? And you're just like, a lot of people don't necessarily understand how that stuff works. So... That's always good to have. Uh, but yeah, then you want to send an invoice. And I think you want to be, generally, you want to be not insanely detailed on those invoices, but if you're charging hourly, you should include three hours did this thing, four hours did this thing, you know, one hour did this thing, you know, whatever. Like you want to break it down a lot. Don't just do 40 hours built website yeah. <laughs> um, if you're charging hourly, you know, if you're, 
if you were just doing a flat fee, then that's totally fine um, to, to do something like that. Uh, in the beginning, you know, a lot of freelancers are like, all right, well, how do I, like, do I charge a deposit? Do I get paid, you know, progress payments? Like, how do you handle that? I would recommend if you're building a project that you do some sort of upfront payment, 50% if you can is, is a good way to do. And you also have to ask yourself what motivates you as a freelancer. Like, is the carrot on the end of the stick the thing that like kind of keeps you going? Like, I need to finish this and get paid. Or are you like a procrastination type? Or are you, is that not a problem for you? Because if you're the procrastination type, you might be good to leave like a big chunk at the end so that you're pushing towards it if that's what sort of gets you there. Um, if you're, if you can trust yourself to do the work, I, this is a lesson that we learned at Funkhouse and took us way too long to learn. I would say a hundred percent, you should try and get on a, like, if you said the project was going to be $10,000, you should charge them a thousand dollars a month for 10 months, you know, or even if the project even took you three months to do it, if you can you know, there's a risk factor there because you might be building it for a company that might not be around in 10 months. So you kind of have to make the call. <laughs> but if you can, if you can splice your payment out into equal payments over a certain amount of months, even if it's only up over three months or four months or, you know, and the clients are going to agree to that, you should do that because cash flow is your biggest problem as a freelancer. Yep. And anything you can do to kind of like smooth out your cash flow, you totally should do. And if you're doing the hourly thing, then just pick a time that kind of works for you and the client, like monthly or bi-weekly, uh, every two weeks. You know, if you can do weekly, cool, but a lot of clients won't want to deal with the paperwork every week to pay you. Um, so monthly might be a way to do it, uh, you know, and do little check-ins along the way. I'm at X amount of hours, you know, coming up to this project, X amount of hours or something like that. Yeah, I've usually done just sort of the hourly thing. Okay, here... Or sometimes we'll do fifty percent. Okay, this is halfway done. Okay, now here's the rest. Um, when I was working for the agency, it was basically you know full time, forty hours a week, and I would submit my invoice at the end of a month, and you know then they would cut me a check. Um, you know that was the only time where I really had to depend on. It. Otherwise, when it's outside projects, I don't, I haven't had quite the dependency of you know getting the money by a certain time, you know because of, it's paying my bills. So. Uh, but yeah, that I like, I like the suggestions about, you know, having equal payments or having the cash flow. Yeah. Cause it sucks if you're, you're used to like, uh, especially if you go freelance after having worked for somebody and you're used to the regular paychecks, all of a sudden you start getting irregular payments. You know, the, the way to get around that obviously is, is, you know, budgeting and figuring out, okay, I'm going to have this much. I can't spend all of it now because I might not have this, you know, later down the road. So there's a lot of budgeting and planning. Uh, that is involved with stuff like that. Um, yeah, that's really tough then. The, the, the last thing I think we should talk about is the inevitable situation that you'll run into eventually where someone doesn't want to pay you for whatever reason. You know, it might be that they can't afford it, but generally it's more that, it, I mean, the way I've seen it really go badly is the client thought they were going to get A, B, C, and D you thought you were only going to be building A and E and then you get to the end of it and the client's not happy for whatever reason. It's definitely more common on the design side, especially when it comes to like, we got, you know, someone hired us to design a logo and then the logo, they don't like it, you know, or whatever that is. In that case, I, I could not explain it better than this video that every free, freelancer should watch. And, are we allowed to swear on this thing, uh, Prob, Steve? Uh, Probably I'm not. to keep it family friendly. Okay. Let's put it that way. So the video is by a guy named Mike Monterio, uh, and he runs a, an agency uh, out of uh, New York, I believe, and he's a legend. And the video is called F You Pay Me, and it is required watching. I mean, I remember when we is, first okay. watched that. And the whole, the whole sort of, I'll paraphrase it all, but you should watch it. It's a brilliant presentation. The whole thing of that is, is look, I did the work. If you're happy with, not happy with it, it's almost not the problem. You know, like as long as I did it to a certain level of quality and it works and, you know, blah, 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 you have to pay me. 
Like, and, and if you don't like it, that that's not my problem. Like I built what you asked me to build and it works to the level that I told you it would. And we all agreed on it. F you pay me <laughs> and you should watch. It's really, it's really, really good way of sort of explaining a lot of the pushback you'll get from bad clients about not paying you because of something changed on their end. It's very common, you know, how a lot of this stuff happens isn't so much that you did something badly. You know, I'd say if you built something that doesn't work, you should not ask to get paid, <laughs> you know, have some professional uh, integrity. But if you, it's more that the client changed their mind. You know, we've like, even at Funkhouse, we've built entire websites that never see the light of day, like six figure websites that the, like a few times it's been things like the client, the, the, the person that worked for the company that engaged us wasn't authorized actually to do it. So they went out and said, Oh, we need a new company website. We'll hire these guys. We'll pay these guys, you know, and they had all the authority to do all of that stuff. But then when we present the website that's finished to them, the company, like, you know, the CEO is like, we're not doing this. So like, essentially, we always joke, it's like they, they drove a Land Rover off a cliff, like they just bought it and crashed it in the ocean. And they were like money well spent. So you know, stuff like that can happen. Wow. Yeah. Fortunately, I haven't been there. Uh, but uh, that doesn't sound like fun. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, uh, it's not. Uh, so now I think maybe we, we should finish on uh, the favorite subject for everyone, taxes. <laughs> Taxes. Yeah. So, you know, there's different uh, arrangements for how you uh, can structure your business. At least I'm not sure familiar how things are in Europe or Australia uh, or outside the U.S. But in the U.S., there's things where you can be as simple as a 1099, which is basically where they pay you directly as a person. And they submit a form 1099, IRS form 1099 that says, okay, I paid you money and I didn't withhold social security and I didn't pay you insurance and I didn't know you just got all the cash. Then you are responsible on your personal income taxes for accounting for that and having to pay for the social security um, or any, you know, state income taxes or federal taxes or whatever. Then you can do, if you want to help that, you can set things up as a business ranging from a sole proprietor, a limited liability corporation or limited liability company, I think, um, which is what I do, versus, or up to like an S corporation, or there's other types of business structures that you can do that would allow you to, you know, have a separate business and then basically you pay yourself a salary from that business. And so it's a separate tax entity with a separate tax ID and stuff. And you have benefits there for over attending nine in that you can write off business costs. Uh, I do it, you know, for instance, with hardware, my computer, my monitors, my mouse, my printer. Um, you know, if you travel to conferences like ViewConf, for instance, you know, that's a business expense and the meals and you can spend money on that, but write that off so you're not paying taxes on it. So there's, you know, and these are things that I'm not an expert on, but what I have done in the past is I'll go sit with an accountant. Like when I first started freelancing, I set up some time and I paid him for, you know, an hour's worth of his time and, and said, okay, how do I do this? How do I set this aside? How much do I need to set aside um, for taxes and pay it? How do I need to structure this? And how do I account for this? So I was prepared ahead of time and knew how to do it. Um, and I used to do, what I used to do is do that and then use something like TurboTax, small business, um, to put all my information in it and calculate it. Over the past couple of years, especially the year that I was freelancing, where such a large chunk of my time, uh, of my income was freelancing for that month, I just paid an accountant. So a friend of mine works for a local accounting firm and I pay, you know, a few hundred dollars once a year and I give him all my tax forms and he figures it out and it saves me so much time. Cause I literally, when I would do TurboTax, I would be, if, let's, let's just say that if I was filing it on April 14th, I was early because I'd always have it in at April 15th, which in the U S is your tax personal tax filing deadline based on the calendar year. And so with this guy, like January, February, I say, okay, here's my form, <laughs> have fun. <laughs> and he yeah. figures things out. Now the year that now in terms of setting aside, uh, you have to set aside a pretty good chunk. Um, 
And the other th headache, and this is a whole wormhole we're not going to go down to, and what keeps me from going freelance full-time is insurance, you know, medical insurance and benefits and the costs and having a company paying part of your premiums versus having to do it yourself. Obamacare was a freaking disaster that made things worse instead of better. That's my opinion. Um, and so uh, you have to set aside for that. And I was fortunate that year when I figured out, he said, you need to set aside such and such a percent for taxes and you can take the rest. And so I had a whole chunk of change set aside for my taxes. Well, taxes came in. It was like half of what I'd set aside. I was like, woohoo, extra money. <laughs> I sat on that for a while. So, you know, when it comes to setting aside for taxes, you're going to want to probably want to be set aside on the high end, you know, more than you think you might need just in case, you know, something changes. Um, tax laws are always changing and, and write-offs and, and so on. But then it's better to do that and maybe overset aside versus not setting it aside enough. Then taxes are coming up for the next year. And you're like, shoot, I got to make some more money to pay off taxes because I didn't set an aside enough money and and yeah so taxes are just a lot of fun well the thing that i would say as a freelancer the number one like risk to your like lifestyle <laughs> is taxes like the amount of freelancers i know that have just just ruined their life like their happiness because of the taxes is huge because you go from, so like just to kind of clarify it, and it is the same in Australia and it's the same in Europe. If you're an employee at a company, the company is is taking amount of your like amount of your salary and paying your taxes for you. When you go freelance, or even if you're just moonlighting on the side and you're getting paid, you're getting paid the entire amount and it's on you to pay the taxes. Yep. So Steve was talking about there's different entities to do this. If you're going to go full-time freelance, you absolutely should set up a business entity to do it. Um, you know, abs like again, <laughs> not financial advice, but an LLC is probably at the bare minimum a good idea unless you talk to an accountant and tells you otherwise. Um, like Funkhouse is an LLC still. It's a limited liability corporation and it's a great way to just do it. It's cheap. In California, it's like 500 bucks a year unless you earn enough, a lot of money and then it becomes more. But for most people, it's like 500 bucks a year to set it up. You can set it up on LegalZoom for free or you know, close to free, 200 bucks or something like that. Uh, and then, then the biggest advantage there is you can write off all your expenses. And so you totally should do that. Now, if you don't want to do that because of whatever reason, then the, the bare, bare minimum that you should do is if you're just going to earn all of this as like an individual, is that you should at least open up a different banking a different bank account that is all of your business expenses. Yes. For if sure. you start mixing your like oh. business expenses with your personal expenses, it, it just is a, such a headache. Uh, and really hard at the end of the year to be like, oh, this laptop I bought is a real expense, you know, versus like I whatever it might be, you know. The very minimum do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um I know people that haven't done that and it's just such a disaster. I would say a really good rule of thumb, if you, again, speak to an accountant and do this correctly, but if you're not going to do that, a bare minimum rule of thumb is 25% of everything you earn is going to is set that aside for tax. That's the bare minimum. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, put that aside and don't spend it. I was setting you, like 40. Yeah. Like 40 well, that's, you know, that's, that's uh, again if if you're paying like 40 percent, you're just not taking advantage of all the tax deductions and stuff i think like depends where you live but in in like los angeles it's it's high that's high tax in in the yeah um, well Republic there's also what they call the self-employment tax you know basically yeah. since a company's not half of your you know social security contributions or whatever then you have to make up that so it's yeah it gets penalty it gets rough yeah. um Insurance, Steve, as an Australian, I, I have to just point out to all of our American listeners that your healthcare system is terrible and this insurance system you have is a total joke and that, um, in quotes, socialized healthcare is actually a million times better and you should do it. Give up on insurance. It's such a scam. Uh, You're you all getting I ripped off. Get into a long, <laughs> you and I could get into a long fight about that one for sure. So, um, uh, but, but yes, um, the... Um, I will leave uh, it at that. Yes. The insurance, like if you're, if you want to have your own insurance and you're like are you under 40 and you're healthy, 
it's probably going to cost you, well, look, depends. You get a whole bunch of subsidies and stuff, but depending on how much income you earn and things like that. You know, I know DJs that don't earn any money and their health insurance is like $2. But if you're earning a livable wage in, in the West Coast, you're probably going to spend between three and $500 a month just for your own insurance. I mean, what we pay at Funkhouse for our employees is about four to $500 a month for our employees, you know, and that's not even like the best plan. It's expensive. It's really expensive. Mm-hmm. So, you know, factor that in to your, to your calculations for sure. Um, and uh, be just really disciplined about setting aside, like Steve said, 25 to 40% of your income as, as salary. Now, you can do some smart stuff with that. Like you can set it aside and put it in a term deposit and earn some interest. The interest rates are like, decent enough now that you're, that's actually worth something. You can get yeah. 4 or 5%. On, on your tax savings because you, you don't need to pay it until the end of the year. Um, you know, sometimes you, you should be, you can pay it like quarterly and stuff like that if you don't trust yourself. Uh, but definitely don't do, don't buy crypto with it. Don't do, don't do dumb stuff <laughs> because uh, at the end of the year, you're going to have to pay that. Um, so let me just give and, you a stock tip. FTX is probably not the way to go. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, to just be, be real careful with taxes. I, I would strongly, like, I actually have a little finance presentation that I give to all the new employees at Funkhouse um, that, that want it. Because um, I, I got uh, a scared of all these college grads that we were hiring and being like, this, oh, this is the first time you've got real money. And just, you know, the second day that they show up, they've got a new car, you know, and I'm just like, oh. <laughs> so um, I think uh, a, a really just good tip is to you should be paying yourself a salary if you're a full-time freelancer so think of it like that don't think of it like i just got this ten thousand dollar job so i have ten thousand dollars no you don't you have a monthly salary based on the calculations that we talked about earlier like what's your you know what are you trying to get a year therefore your monthly salary should be this when you earn more than that it goes that's company money you know, that's the Drew Baker company money. That's not your money, Drew Baker, you know, whatever it is. Pay yourself a salary and, and you'll be way better off than just like riding the roller coaster of freelance income and spending the money that's supposed to be taxed and hoping that you'll pay it back later and stuff because you won't. <laughs> you'll just end up owing the IRS like 40 grand. So be careful. All right. We have sort of hit the limits of our time. So we are going to switch over to picks. Picks are the part of the show where we can talk about whatever we want to talk about. Uh, do you got any picks for us, Drew? Uh, I just I would just watch that "f you pay me" thing. I think it's brilliant, and uh, I mean, it's, yeah, I've got the link here, so I'll yeah. uh, I'll put it in the show notes for sure. Oh, and then oh, going back to another thing you mentioned, Numbale, I think is how you say it. It's the cost of living calculator. Yep. And you n u m b e o dot com. So I'll drop that link in the show notes as well. And then I think I found really... the, the contract killer, yep. uh, the plain language design contract. Uh, so that looks pretty cool. So, uh, not, My other pick would be um, the Nux released their like vision for 2023. And this is basically like a roadmap of the things that they're going to kind of go after. And it's a really interesting read, especially if you're using Nux. Um, yes. And- I'm excited to see the the work they're going to do on this, some of the community, not, not the community modules, but like the Nux core modules, like Nux image. And then they're doing one called Nux script, which I'm not hundred percent sure what that is, but it must be interesting because they put it on their roadmap. So uh, yeah, check it out. Yes. Next week, our host, our guest will be Daniel Rowe. Oh, a little teaser. Advanced. Nice. Let's talk He's to him. The, uh, the big cheese with Nux now. Uh, he stepped in for Puya Parsa, if I remember correctly. So, Daniel, we've had on here two or three times, and uh, he, if you want to know anything about Nux, he's the guy to talk to. So that'll be a lot of fun. Looking forward to having him next week for sure. So for my picks, uh, before I get to the high point of every podcast, the dad jokes of the week, uh, I actually came across a song that, that uh, and an interesting story behind it. Um, in the Christian tradition, there's a hymn it is called It Is Well With My Soul. And the history behind it is, is just fascinating. And I've heard the story a couple of times, and it came up again this past week at a 
memorial service that I was actually at. Um, the story is not real long. <clears throat> uh, back in the 1800s, uh, there was a, a very successful lawyer uh, and uh, property owner in Chicago named Horatio Spafford. And he had quite a lot of property uh, in the Chicago real estate investments. And then came the Great Chicago Fire of 1871, uh, the famous fire that was started by Mrs. O'Leary's cow, if you go by tradition. And he lost uh, all of his property. It was all destroyed. And on top of that, he had five kids. He had a four daughters and a, and a son, and he lost his son to scarlet fever all about the same time. So uh, they managed to make it through. You know, He was an attorney, I believe. Uh, and then in 1873, they decided to go to Europe as a family and, uh, something, uh, a business deal, something happened that Horatio needed to stay behind. And he sent his wife and four daughters ahead to Europe on a ship. And, uh, then he was going to join them, get a ship and leave a couple days later. Uh, while the ship was sailing, uh, it was, uh, collided with another very heavy, uh, ship and his wife Anna and their daughters were uh, went down with their ship. Uh, his wife barely survived, but his four daughters drowned. Uh, another boat coming by happened to find her still alive and, and rescued her. And she sent Horatio a telegram that basically said, "Survived alone, what shall I do?" And so he got on the next ship he could and headed over. And about four days out. The captain pulled him aside and as they were passing the spot where the ship with his family had gone down and pointed it out. And it was that point that he wrote the poem, uh, It Is Well With My Soul. And it was later put to music uh, by another musician, I forget his name, uh, Philip Bliss in 1876. But if you've ever gone to church and you've sung that song, it's an incredibly powerful, powerful hymn. And the story behind it is fascinating that a guy could write a song like that after having lost so much, you know, in the previous few years, but really good song. I'll drop a, a link to the story behind the song uh, in the in the show notes. And then on more of an upbeat note, shall we say, uh, it's time for the, the dad jokes of the week. Um, the other day I was sitting eating uh, breakfast with my daughter and she said, uh, why does a fork have four prongs? You know, so a fork has four little prongs on there. And I said, well, if it had any less, it would be called a threek. You know, four. Somebody else pointed out to me that it actually would be a trident, you know, like what Neptune uses to eat with. But uh, And then for all you math people out there, how do 37 mathematicians board a bus that only has 36 seats? They carry the one. Right, and then finally, uh, my wife reads. My wife recently was threatening me to leave me because I never put the toilet seat down. You know, it's a pet peeve. It's always the men's fault, never the women's. But that's another story. But that was okay because I was getting tired of carrying it around anyway. Yes, there we go. Sorry, delay on the on the rim shot there. So anyway. That is all we have for Views on View this week. Another fascinating episode of pearls of wisdom dripping from our lips like water. Hopefully those of you who are newer in the development community will, will find this useful to learn from our experiences and uh, mistakes in my case. <laughs> uh, but go forward, prosper, develop, keep using View, and we will talk at you next time.